God, we are desperate without you. And it's not just Sunday morning that we need you, but throughout the week as well, all the days of our lives, whether we're at work, whether we're at family, whether we are on vacation, it doesn't matter. We are desperate for you. We need you in our lives. God, we ask you to be a part of our lives. That, Father, it is not enough for us to just be satisfied on Sunday, but all the days of our lives. Father, we desire to commit ourselves to you. God, I know that as we've been working through our series on brokenness, that, Father, one of the ways that we can show our love and obedience to you is to go to you and ask forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Father, we do things wrong. We also do lots of things that we wish we could have done better. The Bible all talks about that as well. So we're just going to take a moment, put all our cards on the table, be honest with you here, ask for forgiveness, turn away from it, and seek to do differently, seek to follow your will. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, whose glorious death opened the door for us to be forgiven and for us to be made right with you. Lord, we can be your friend now because of what he did. God, we ask this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit here, that he would be a part of our lives. Lord, that he would be forgiving us, moving us, cleansing us, challenging us to serve you. God, we ask that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, crazy week on my part, and uh, so I, this is one of those times where just no movie clip was available, so that's okay because we got a full Sunday. We're just going to jump ahead here, talk about our finale of our series, right? Um, the series on Let's Be Honest, and um, we've been talking about honesty and being honest with ourselves um, as we have a hard look at ourselves and talk about what it means to be the people of God amidst our brokenness. And so our three-week series that we've been working through is coming face-to-face -face with our brokenness. We live in a world where the world tells us that we are okay. I'm okay, you're okay, we're basically fine, everything's good, we're basically good people that if we just scrub up a little bit, we just put on a little bit of perfume, we just put some makeup on and put on some nice clothes and that sort of thing, we watch Oprah a couple times, we read Deepak Chopra a couple times, we do things like that, that we will be better, that we will be good, that we will be okay, that everything will be okay. But the problem is the Bible presents a very different picture. The Bible presents a picture of us being broken and our brokenness impeding our lives, our brokenness playing a factor in everything that we do. So coming face-to-face -face with our brokenness, this is the, what we've been talking about. Here's our strategy. The first week we talked about the reality of sin. We talked about the fact that it is very real and very tangible and a big factor in our lives. And we talked about this, you know, this issue of sin because if you've come in for the first time or this is your first time in church or you've been in church for a long time and you think that sin is doing what is bad, well, the Bible has a much different picture for what sin is. Sin can be defined as doing what is bad. But the idea in the Bible is much more complex than that. Um, and so it's not always safe to define it that way. Let's talk about what sin is. We talked about this in the first week. God, who is perfect, made people in his image, but sin damaged that image. So all of us are created in the image of God. 
All of us at one point in time had this big mirror that reflected the glory of God. But when we chose to rebel against God, the Bible talks about our brokenness. And it talks about the fact that that image of God was broken in our lives so that we no longer purely reflect God. In fact, we reflect Him so poorly that we are more likely to do what is wrong or what is bad instead of doing what is right. We see that in the current economic downturn. Because if we were all good people, when people started losing their jobs and having struggles, what would we do? We would all get together and help each other. Crime would go down. There wouldn't be crime to begin with, right? We'd work together, sing kumbaya, love each other. But the truth is that doesn't happen. Instead, what happens is, is that we do what? Our natural bent is to be mad, to be insecure, to hurt, to hate, to have antagonism towards other people, to attack people rather than to love them. And that's the broken image of God in our lives. Sin is the broken condition of people that causes them to rebel against and to hate God, right? So the idea of sin in the Bible is that we have rebelled against God, and this rebellion continues into our lives. We choose to rebel rather than choosing to follow Him. And so what happens is the most common word for um, sin in the Bible is this idea of missing the mark. So in the ancient world, when they were trying to describe sin, there was a word used by the military, basically, to to mean if you miss the bullseye, right? Because you always want to hit the bullseye every time. That's the goal. And so when you miss the bullseye, they called that sin. And so the Bible refers to anything that we do or do not do that misses the bullseye, God's perfect plan for our lives, is that sin or that brokenness. So God wants us to hit the bullseye every single time in our lives. But the problem is is that we sometimes we miss. Or, as I mentioned last week, a lot of times we live our lives like drunken soldiers and we're shooting our arrows all over the place and not hitting anything. But the thing is, is that it doesn't matter whether we're in church and just missing by a little bit each week or whether we're shooting off on the wrong direction. Both of those things are sin, according to the Bible. So the second week, last week, we talked about the totality of sin, and we talked about how sin is rebellion against God, right? And when I was growing up, I always wanted to be Han Solo. How about you? Maybe not, right? Maybe somebody different. But Han Solo is the ultimate guy, right? Because he is a part of the rebellion, right? And he is the one who's going to, I mean, I know Luke Skywalker is more important, but whatever. It's my story, right, when I was a kid. And so the thing is, he was the one Him and those guys, you know, and the gals, they led a rebellion. And our lives, the narrative of our world is that rebellion is good. We should fight the man. We should stick it to the man, right? The rebel's the good guy. The man's the bad guy. But the problem is, is that like most narratives in our world, it's upside down. Because instead, we are the bad ones. We are rebelling against a good, benevolent God who loves us completely and wants healing and prosperity and goodness and health to be in our lives. And what do we do? We rebel against him, thinking that we're the ones who's right, when in reality, he's the one who is right. So sin is a total rebellion and rejection against God. Today we're going to talk about the finality of sin, talking about what we can do to put it to rest, what we can do to get it out of our lives. But here's the thing. I'm just going to tell you right now. The average churchgoer, is going to make it to the middle of my sermon message. And they're going to be like, yeah, that's right, Pastor. woo I'm with you. And then when I get somewhere towards the end of the second point, they're going to go to sleep. And 
They're going to be like, yeah, whatever, pastor. But here's the danger. Let me just tell you the danger right now. The danger of this is, all jokes aside, is that the Bible is very clear that if you go to sleep at that point, I don't know whether you're going to be right with God or not. So it's very critical that you go all the way to the end. Because without going all the way to the end, there's no guarantee what God is going to do. All right? So let's look at the finality of sin. Let's see what the Bible says. I decided to stay in Psalm 51. Um, so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Psalm 51 here. And uh, we're going to look at that. It's going to be up on the big screen as well. But uh, we'll open our Bibles and put our fingers in it because we're going to refer back to here quite a few times this morning. We're looking at this psalm that David wrote because he was really, really upset with himself uh, for rebelling against God and just being a total sinner in every way. And so he wrote the psalm to try to understand um, what God had called him to do and how he may be forgiven. All right, Psalm 51, here's what the Bible says. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Okay, so everybody knows where we're going to go by the end, right? We've been here long enough. All right. Only God can fix our brokenness. Three ideas that we're going to walk down through real quickly here this morning. Only God has the power to fix our brokenness. Only He is the one who can restore and fix and repair our brokenness. Now, here's the thing. Again, we live in a world that is convinced that if we read the right books, if we go to the right counseling, if we get the right thing in our lives, that somehow we can be whole again, that we can be right again, that we can be fixed again. But the problem is, is that there's no amount of self-help that we can a- apply to our lives to recover the image of God in our lives, to be made whole and to be made right again. Now, why is that? Two reasons. Let me give you two evidences for that. First of all, the big key word there in self-help is what? What's the problem there? Self, right. You guys are smart in first person. Self, right? That's it. Self is the problem. See, if self was able to fix self, then it would be easy. We would all fix ourselves. In fact, none of you would go to church. Alcohol sales would be down to nothing. Vacation, which is, okay, a good thing, would also be down. Fights would be down. There'd be no crime. There'd be no problems. Kumbaya. It would be awesome, right? But the problem is is that it is not possible for us to fix ourselves. Why? Because self is what gets in the way. It is our self that is keeping us because we do not have a solution powerful enough to fix our own lives. Again, if we could fix our lives, everyone would do it. No one wants to be the way they are, right? I mean, there's, all th- there's always things about our lives that we would improve, but it seems impossible to do that. And so what happens is no amount of self-help can recover the image of God. There's another reason why, too. Because the image of God in our lives was created by who? The image of God in our lives was created by who? God. That's right. And so the thing is, what he has created and we have ruined, we are not able to recreate. There's lots of things in our lives that once we broke, once we break it, once it's broken, we cannot fix. If we buy a mirror, as I've been using that example of reflecting the image of God, and we break it, what do we do? 
can we have, do we fix it? Do we have the power to fix it? Can we fix it? Not really, right? We just do what? Throw it away. And you know what? In life, we have broken relationships, don't we? We, we break relationships with other people, and we don't have the power sometimes we feel like to fix it. We lose friends. We lose family members, and we don't even have the power to get them back. How then would we restore the power of God in our life? We cannot do it. We cannot do it because we cannot recover the image of God in us. All right, let me just give a, a little quiz here this morning. Who knows who this is? Humpty Dumpty, right? Who wants to sing this morning? Who wants to do the nursery rhyme? Come on. A wall, Humpty Dumpty, Great Fall, Horses, the King's Men, Get Humpty. Very good. You guys are smart in first service. I knew it. They didn't know the nursery rhyme. I tried to get Rich and Lon to stand up and do it. He didn't get it. Right, Humpty Dumpty. And you know what? Here's the funny thing. There's a lot of truth in this nursery rhyme because the thing is, is that the people of our world had a great fall. They rebelled against God, right? And all the king's horses and all the king's men, all the self-help tapes, all the Oprah we watch cannot put Humpty Dumpty, you and I, back together again. That's the truth. Only the power of God is able to restore the image of God in our lives. We are broken. We cannot be unbroken. We are broken. We cannot be fixed except for the power of God in our lives. Again, the Bible says, No amount of soap or lye can make you clean. I, God, still see the stain of your, stain of your guilt. And that's what we do. Jeremiah 2 is a great verse. We've been talking about this a lot. That what do we do? We try to put perfume on. We try to make ourselves look good. But no amount of that will do that. Hey, I was wanting to share this example, this illustration for the last two weeks, but I thought it was really disgusting, so I didn't do it. But you know what? I'm going to do it this week. Do you know what happened in the Middle Ages in Europe? What did people do? In the Middle Ages, to clean themselves up, what did people do? Does anybody know? Now, first service got this right. Let's see. Well, first of all, in the Middle Ages, people did not believe in taking showers or baths at all. They believed it was bad. But when perfume was invented, they did what? They wore lots of... So you had lots of people who would never take a bath for months, but yet they would cover themselves in... Now, what did that smell like? Disgusting, right? Yuck. I mean, come on, right? And so what happens is, is that you and I do the same thing, don't we? Because our temptation is, instead of dealing with the brokenness in our lives and going to God to be totally cleaned inside and out, we put on middle-class, smelly goods. We put on worldly self-acceptance. We put on perfume and makeup to, look ourself, to make ourselves look better so that other people will think that we are okay when in reality we are not because we still stink on the inside. But we do that. But you know what? It doesn't work, right? Would you want your husband or your wife not to take a shower for a month and still wear perfume? No. You want them to take a bath. That's what you want them to do, right? And so in the same way, we are not able to fix this issue ourselves. We have to turn it over to God. All right. What God first created, only God can restore. Since God is the one who created the image of God in our lives, he's the only one who's able to restore it. 
God made us in his image. He is the one who created us this way. He created us to have perfect fellowship and perfect relationship with him. But he is the only one who is able to restore that to us. What God first created, only God can restore. And we, this makes sense to us, right? Because where he is the creator of it, he is the one who is able to restore it in our lives. All right, let's move on. I think we've established this. This is not the hard part. We all know this. This is the part that's easy. Second idea. We must no longer live in guilt. Now, this one we're still safe on, too. This is what the Bible says. Let me just look back here. Purify me for my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. So if we want to call ourselves Christians and we want to be followers of Jesus, it is critical that we move away from the guilt, that we accept God's forgiveness, we allow him to be the one to make us anew again, and that we move away from guilt in our lives. God's forgiveness is a complete removal of sin. Unlike us trying to put perfume on and makeup on and make ourselves look better, God's forgiveness of sin is a complete removal of it. Now, the Bible uses different metaphors to explain the removal. Here, David uses the idea of being washed as white as snow. And he uses this idea because he's saying that basically no matter how much dirt and no matter how much crud and no matter how much stuff that we have in our lives, that when God gets it and he gets a hold of it and we turn over to him, then it is completely and totally wiped from beginning to end. That God is the one who completely forgives and completely restores us to himself. But there's another image that the Bible talks about too, and Paul talks about this in the New Testament, about the complete removal of sin. And that is an exoneration or an innocence granted to us by God because of our mistakes. Let's just use a very simple example. If I get out of here, get in my car, run a red light, and the police officer pulls me over and says, Sir, I observed you running a red light. Here's your ticket. Go down to the judge, right? If we go to the judge and we say, Judge, judge, you know, I'm a good person. Let me off, man. Hopefully he's going to say, No, you still ran a red light. You still have to pay the $500 fine for running the red light. Now, a lot of people believe in the church that what they have to do then is convince the judge or do something good to the judge or do something good in general, and the judge will let them off. But that's not the way it works. They still have to pay the penalty for what they did wrong. There's still that sin that's in our lives. There's still that brokenness. God desires the complete removal of brokenness from our lives. And the way that happens is that we are found innocent, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. So let me give you the metaphor, just so we're all clear. When we stand before the judge and we say, Judge, Judge, you know, I know I ran the, 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 the stoplight, but I don't have $500. I don't want to have to pay for it. Then it is not the fact the judge says you are innocent. The judge says you are guilty, but this other person, Jesus, has paid the penalty already for your mistake. And so based upon that, we are then free and let off, not because of our innocence, but because of Jesus' innocence. Not because of our being right, but because of Jesus being right. Not because we have the power to remove ourselves from the infraction, but because Jesus has the power to remove us from that situation and from the infraction that we have. God's forgiveness in our lives is a complete removal of sin. And here's the problem that we face, that God's forgiveness has to be complete. It has to be total. That when we go to God and ask for forgiveness for our lives, it is not something that we can do halfway. 
You know, the Bible has lots of gray areas. I know that people say all the time, Bible, black and white, Bible, black and white, but it's not really true. The Bible has a lot of gray areas because it is a real book inspired by a real God who understands what real life is all about. But in this situation, the Bible is more black and white because either sin and brokenness is healed from our lives or it is not. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But God's forgiveness is a complete removal of sin from our lives, that when we turn our lives over to Him, it is completely removed. This is not a surface cleaning. It is over the long run, a 100% overhaul of our nature. And this is what a lot of people who sit in church don't understand or they don't want to face because they want God to just put some perfume on them and make them smell better. And we'll talk about why in a minute. But they want to just smell better and look better. They don't want God to completely overhaul their lives. But God's overhaul is the only thing that will work. Why is it the only thing that will work? Because anything else than a complete overhaul does not eliminate sin from our lives. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? Our brokenness goes all the way down deep. Why does the Bible use the word flesh to describe our sinfulness and our brokenness and our rebellion against Him? It's because it's in our very nature. That's what flesh means. It's in our very nature. You know, the Bible used an example in the Old Testament of sin. Does anybody know what the sin example in the Bible in the Old Testament is? See if you guys are smart in first service. They didn't get it. Come on, come on. The Bible uses a cooking idea to explain what sin is in the Old Testament. One of the metaphors for sin. Come on, cooking, baking. You're going to bake something. It's going to rise. It uses what? Yeast, right? Yeast, right. Very good. Now, why is yeast a biblical metaphor for sin? Because when you put yeast in a piece of bread, I'm not a cook or a baker, so you won't embarrass myself. Whatever you, whatever rises, bread, you put yeast in it, there's no way to get the yeast out of it. Because the yeast goes completely throughout the bread, which is why the bread rises all over, or on the sides if you're a bad baker, um, or whatever. It doesn't just do one part of it. It goes throughout the whole thing. And that's the same with sin. Because our brokenness is complete. We are not partly broken. We're not par half good, half bad. We are completely broken according to the Bible. Again, Romans 3, no one is done right. No one is good. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has rebelled against God. Everyone has rejected God. We have all done that. And in order for God to set us right again, he has to go in and completely remove the sin nature from our lives. Now, some of you may ask me and you say, well, pastor, is that possible? In the world today? No, it's not. So, those people that knock on your door, knock, 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 God wants you to live forever here on earth, right? You know those people? But that's not in the Bible, and it's not true, and you know why? And it's not good. I don't want to live here forever on this earth. I don't want to, do I want to live like this with all my brokenness and all my issues? No, and neither do you. So, death has a part to play in this removal of sin. Why? Because in order for God to glorify and to completely remove sin from our lives, to completely take it out of our nature, to completely heal us, requires a complete recreation, or as Revelation says, a new heaven and a new earth, right? Where the old order of things has passed away. And so God, when we pass in this world, recreates us completely again who we are. We're still the same person, but in the image of God, again, but an image that is no longer broken. An image that is no longer shattered. And so when we stand before God, we're the same person, but we are recreated again. And you know what? That's awesome. 
because there's no more sin, there's no more brokenness, there's no more hurt, there's no more crying, there's no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's no more discord, there's no more hate, there's no more antagonism, there's no more attacks, there's no more discouragement at all. It is solely us existing complete and perfect before God. It is a complete and total thing. That is why God does not want us to put on perfume when we come to God. God doesn't say, clean yourself up first, then come to me. Why? Because we know that's a lie. Because we can never clean ourselves up. Jeremiah 2, we just read it. It says we still stink on the inside. And so what God wants to do is to remake us completely new again. Which is why it doesn't matter what sin we have in our lives. It doesn't matter what we've done. Murder doesn't matter. That we can come to God and can fully confess our sins and that he will transform us again into his image the way that he desired us to be to begin with. And then every day of our lives, it is possible for us to hit the bullseye every single time. That we don't have to live in brokenness. That we can live in peace that God desired. And by the time we pass from this world, that God will make it new and make it right again. We don't doubt forgiveness since it is an act of God. You know, we talk about... The National Weather Service will talk about a tornado as an act of God or an earthquake as an act of God or a hurricane as an act of God. Why? Because it totally sweeps in and it, we don't have any control over it and just whoosh, trailer park, bye-bye. Right? That's what happens. And so when God chooses to forgive us because we have gone to him and confessed to him out of our faith in him and because of his grace that it is an act of God that removes the brokenness from our lives. It is not just dusting us off, not putting a little perfume on, but a complete recreation, the Bible says, new birth also, that causes us to be remade again in his image. And so when we see forgiveness as an act of God, and yes, I mean in the tornado sense, I mean in the hurricane sense, then we see how God is able to forgive us of our sins. Now, I know we go Monday through Friday... And we're like, you know, yeah, I'm still struggling, Pastor. I still have this issue in my life. I still have this difficulty in my life. I have this big sin. God can't take it away. No, forgiveness is an act of God that sweeps through our lives with the desire to recreate us all over again. And that when we trust in Him, that He makes us a new person. Yeah, there's still vestiges of old stuff while we're in this world, I know. But that He makes us new again. So that when we call out to him, that when we have relationship with him, that it is based on this new creation in him. Third idea. Okay, now I know this is where y'all guys are going to go sleep. But don't do it. This is what the Bible says. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now what did that mean? In the Old Testament, people believed that when the Spirit of God departed from you, that it was a sign that you had uh, ceased um, to be willing to follow Him. And so it is uh, a, a severe lack of disobedience um, from their perspective that caused that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Wow. So here's the thing, that we must turn and obey God. That forgiveness and this act of God is also us turning and obeying God. Now here's the problem. If our rebellion is over, we must fully surrender to God. This is the problem because people want to come and they want to have it both ways. The average churchgoer wants to have it both ways. They want to come to church and they want to be washed as white as snow. They want the perfume on, right? But they don't want to end their rebellion against God. 
We all still want to be Han Solo. I do. We all still want to be the rebel without a cause. We all still want to rebel against God. We still want to say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do on vacation because it's my vacation and I've earned it. But you know what happens when people fought in the ancient world, right? And the losing side came before the victor. The losing side only had one choice. And what was that one choice? Surrender or perish. That's what it was. Either you pledge allegiance to me, or we hang you, or crucify you. That's what they did in the ancient world. Even in modern, even in the modern world, I know the Geneva Convention and all that stuff, but even in the modern world, that's still largely true. World War II, certainly. World War I, it was true. And so, the thing is, is that when we come to God and ask forgiveness from Him, and we want a complete act of God, then he says, your rebellion is over. Now that's the hard thing. Because we want to go before God, surrender to him, and then tomorrow, go back and go to our old ways and keep on rebelling. Right? Live, what is, what's the old expression? We'll live to fight another day. Right? And that's what we do. And so, here's the problem. The Bible tells us that if we want forgiveness from God, then it requires us to be sir, yes, sir at every single opportunity that we have. Why? Because that's what God wants for us because that's perfection from his point of view. We become loyalists to him. We are no longer rebels. We are loyalists. But the average church person will sit in the average church and they will say, oh, I want the forgiveness, but I'm not really willing to be completely obedient to God. I'm not really willing to surrender. Now, here becomes the problem. At best, we still act like we are in the rebellion. You know? Yeah, we come to church, but we're wearing the uniform of the enemy. And at worst, we have never surrendered fully, which becomes a big salvation problem. So here's the question. The question that you have to ask is, is that if you want God to sweep away all of your sin and all of your brokenness and completely remake you in his image, are you willing to swear fealty to pledge your allegiance to him above all else? Because that is what goes along with it. That is part and parcel of God recreating us. He's not going to recreate us so that we can be rebels. Uh-uh. I know that does happen in the movies, but that's not the way God does it. He recreates us in him, his image an image of perfection, an image of goodness, an image of wholeness, an image of health. He recreates us this way so that when we swear loyalty to him, that our lives demonstrate that loyalty. We don't swear loyalty to him and then go and live our lives however we want to. We swear loyalty to him and then we obey. Now I know the average church person, the average church goes to sleep with they say, oh, yeah, but I don't really, you know, I still like to rebel. I'm on vacation. I get to rebel, right? But that is not an act of God forgiving us. And so we have a hard choice in our lives to decide whether we want to do it. Surrender includes complete loyalty to God's call. When God asks us to do something, is our answer, sir, yes, sir? Or is our answer, uh, dude, I don't know about that? Because the image the Bible gives, when David received forgiveness, that he realized that forgiveness comes at a cost. 
The cost is the blood of his son, Jesus, which David only could imagine. But he also knew it came at a cost of personal sacrifice, of his willingness to be obedient to God. So here's the question. Are you willing to swear loyalty to God, or do you still want to rebel? Because if you still want to rebel, then the act of God to sweep away all the brokenness in your life probably won't happen. But if you choose forgiveness, then know that God is expecting you and is demanding for you to sign over your life and your allegiance and your fealty to him. You are no longer king of your own life. You have a new king. And who is that king? That king is God. I know it's great to be the king, and it feels good to be the king, but when we are the king of our own lives, we are in a state of rebellion against God, and we are not able to be forgiven. So let me just ask this morning, are we willing to turn over our lives to him completely, to swear fealty to him? Let's pray. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, just for a second. Maybe you're here this morning, and... You know, you, you've been sort of playing this game, wanting some perfume, some makeup in your life, but unwilling to really turn over your lives to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you need to say for the first time, God, I want to swear my allegiance to you. I want complete forgiveness in my life. Just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone here first time this morning? Anyone first time? All right. With those with uplifted hands, Father, all they need to say to you is, God, I love you. God, I want to know you. God, I know that I'm broken and in rebellion against you, but I know that you, as an act of God, can totally wipe away all my sin, my brokenness, my rebellion. God, I swear my life to you. I commit my life to you. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you that he has, he has removed the guilt from my life. He has removed the brokenness from my life, that he has healed me. God, I commit my life to you. And for all of us, Father, we pray this morning that we would swear allegiance to you, God, that you would be the king of our lives, not ourselves. Father, we love you and we call out to you. Lord, we want to hit the bullseye every day of our lives. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.